comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hello, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural episode number 243 of the Long Box of Doom. Why do I say inaugural? Because we have renamed the show. As most of you know, we used to do the show called The Legion of Dudes. Um, it's been a while since we've actually had an episode up on the on the feed for various and sundry reasons, uh, many of which uh, revolve around hacking and you know bad uh, website experiences. But everything's been patched back together, good as new. Um, including us with a new name, same same number, new name, um, and brand new website. Thank you, Russ. Yeah, yeah, brand brand new website, still evolving, still changing. For those of you subscribing to the new feed, we appreciate um, you sticking through with all the the ups and the downs and the trials and tribulations. Um, as you, as you may have noticed, there's only I think we go back right now to episode two thirty eight, two thirty seven, something like that. On the feed, if you if you scroll through old, old episodes or hit the site and look through old episodes, um, we will be slowly adding all of the old episodes up on the site. So over the next couple of weeks, you should see more and more of them st- uh, starting to pop in um, and backfill in in the past. Um, so eventually, you will be able to 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 see all of them, and so we could point you to uh, all of that content. You know, because we do refer back to previous shows. We do stuff like Lock and Key, where you know, just by nature of how the book comes out, it takes us several years to, to go over the material, things like that. So exciting stuff happening. We're, we're really excited. Um, you know, part of the, part of the name change with the show of to Long Box of Doom is I, we're going to really focus more on the comic side. As you may have noticed, things have, things have shif- shifted around a little bit. Jordan has, has started a new podcast himself, even called Jersey Shore. That's S-U-R-E. Exactly. So we've got the Shield podcast up. We've got, of course, Walking Dead TV podcast. Although you know the show's on hiatus, so we'll we'll probably be doing two episodes a month instead of our normal normal weekly schedule. John has something in the works that I think is going to take care of the non comic side of what we love to talk about, um, and it's a show that he's calling Really BS. And uh, we're pretty much going to talk about on that show everything that we don't talk about on this show. Whereas this one is going to be really comic focused. Uh, that show is going to be just all of the cool stuff that we're into that, that really doesn't fit into comics. So a lot of movies and video games and maybe a little sports talk in there. Um, stuff like that. And of course, we still have, uh, Real Heroes, which, uh, we were kind of simulcasting Real Heroes episodes, which is the superhero movie review podcast we do. Um, we've been altered, simulcasting that on this feed and the Real Heroes feed. Um, and, and that's going to stop. We're just going to, the Real Heroes shows will be on that feed. And the master feed, and so we won't we won't be doing that. But but uh, the cool thing about that show is we've decided to cover all of the new superhero movie releases as they come out. So we'll be you know spinning the wheel of fate on our regular shows, and 
we'll be covering the stuff that's new and upcoming. So we we've, we've already done Iron Man three. Um, we'll be I guess the next one we'll be doing will be uh, Man of Steel. Um, yeah. And so as as yeah, which we're all really excited about. So as more of these come out, we'll definitely be. Um, be expanding that show instead of it's just regular monthly. It, it, things may pop up a little more frequently on that. So, so you may not see Longbox of Doom as a weekly podcast, uh, necessarily, but it's going to give us a little more freedom to mix things up, to talk about stuff we want, um, and to not be constrained by kind of the schedule that we had set for ourselves. So I'm, I'm really excited. I, I, I know that a lot of the guys are really excited about it too. Just, just like I said, being able to, to give us a freedom to, to cover stuff and, you know, when we do things like Age of Apocalypse, which we're going to do tonight, which has been kind of dragging out for quite some time, uh, the next big thing that we do, you know, we'll be able to do, I think, on more of a regular schedule and not have to worry about, oh, this movie's come out, we got to quick do a show on that, or oh, you know, this this hot comic has come out, or this big announcement, or whatever the case may be. It's uh, it's going to give us the freedom to cover things as we see fit. So I'm excited about it, and and that's that's kind of where we are. Well, it's kind of funny. I mean, you know, the original Legion of Dudes back in the day, you know, we were all part of the half-hour wasted forums, and we were very comic-centric. And then as, you know, the network grew, and our interests kind of expanded in our podcasting, quote-unquote, expertise, uh, got a little better, uh, as it were. You know, we expanded our purview. We added, you know, like you said, Real Heroes, Walking Dead, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. You know, we, we've done, you know, uh, we've done all kinds of, you know, spin-off podcasts over the years, Speak of the Devil, the extended edition. And we think with this new restructuring with the Long Box of Doom, you know, we, it's like a soft reboot, you know. We were able to, uh, you know, make this, bring LOD back to its roots and make it, you know, a comic-centric show as well as keep all those great other side things that we've got going on. I mean, and, and don't forget the black box with our good friend Sean Pryor and, you know, Tales from the Attic with Donnie Salvo and, you know, out now with Aaron and Abe, all the great, you know, other affiliates on our network. I mean, uh, we're, we're able to cover this wide spectrum, but also bring it back to our roots. And I, I think that's kind of fitting in a way. Yeah, so nothing's going away. It's just everything you loved is still there. It's just easier to find. It's in its own spot, which is kind of nice for an OCD person like myself. Yeah, agreed. And I think you're going to see more cast members kind of float in and out, which, you know, some of you may not know, and, and some of this was a little behind the scenes, but I think the original incarnation, we thought that people would kind of float in and float out, and we'd have a lot of people showing up um, on this podcast. And I think um, with some of the stuff that Jim has planned coming down the pipe, I think I think that's going to become a reality. So it's going to bounce off what you're saying. I know um, I've already talked to, um, we're going to you know, have you know, rotating members for our next long form, which we've you know, mentioned as Marvel Cosmic, we're going to be doing some really cool things in between, uh, focusing on uh, Jonathan Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four and FF, and also, Whoop. yeah, yeah, Jordan and I are both stoked about that. And we're also going to be looking at uh, the first trade of Saga by Brian K. Vaughn, and uh, um, we really are, are huge fans of that comic. And it's been really, uh, AOA has been great, and it's been great to you know do all these episodes and go as in-depth as we have on it, but there's so many great other great comics that have come out since that we... You know, since we started doing AOA, that we'd really like to focus. I mean, I know I would love to do uh, um, an episode on Gabriel Bond, Fabio Moon's uh, Day Tripper, if you guys haven't read that. That's that is a fantastic Great, book. great graphic novel. So, again, you know, we're kind of bringing LOD. We're changing the name, but we're bringing it back to its roots. We're bringing it all back home and to where, you know, it started, which is in-depth looking at comics. And, and like Russ said, 
something big happens in comics. I know, I know darn well, you know, with Jordan and I and our love of Jonathan Hickman that we'll definitely probably be pumping out some episodes about Infinity as it comes out. Um, that'll be tying in again. And, um, talked to, you know, guests like Bill McGonnell from Half Hour Wasted and Daryl Taylor from the Daryl Taylor Network, Donnie Salvo, about rotating in and out for our next long form on, on Marvel Cosmics. So, uh, like Russ said, we'll have, you know, like more of a rotating, uh, uh, roster as it were. So. But it'll all be about comics here on Long Box of Doom, and we can, you know, spread, spread our wings on the other shows and kind of, uh, you know, talk about other things there. And if you're a person who hates change, don't worry. Just subscribe to the Master Feed at hhwld.com. You're going to get all the same stuff. Some of it's just going to have a slightly different name, but you're going to get all the same content and even more content, which is awesome. All right. So without further ado, do we want to cap this thing off, this uh, this opus that we've been on, I think, for more than a year now, which I think originally was supposed to be about uh, about 10 months. And, and, you know, we've had a skip month in there, you know, now and again and, and delays and website issues and everything else. So we're finally capping off as we start a new chapter, which I think is kind of fitting as well. I blame John. So do we all. Just because he's not here. So <laughs> we love you, John. All right. So X-Men Omega. This is the final chapter in the Age of Apocalypse saga. Um, and just like X-Men Alpha, this one had a crazy foil cover, uh, chromium, you know, foil cover. Did it ever. Wow. This was a really shiny. I remember Alpha and Omega both had that super shiny chromium cover that you only ever saw, like, maybe on Valiant Books or every once in a while on really, like, you know, super specials. It was super shiny. Um, you could signal an airplane with it if you were stranded on an island and needed to. Um, I remember that, you know, how bright the, you know, bright and shiny, like I said, Alpha and Omega's covers were when they came out. I think the first one I ever remember seeing as, as a kid, you know, first getting into comics years after the fact was uh, Spider-Man's Maximum Clonage. Also had a chromium and partially see-through cover as well, I believe. Yeah, they did some. Yeah, that that whole era had pulled out all the stops, uh, as as well. Uh, most recently, they've done. They've kind of gone back to this well, and so far, thank thank God, they've only done it once. But with Age of Ultron number one, it had kind of that chromium cover. And uh, honestly, because it'd been so long since they've really done that, and they didn't. Ra- it was still a three ninety nine book. They didn't raise the price to cover it. It was kind of cool and it was kind of fitting, you know, just the whole Ultron thing. And it, and definitely the printing process has improved because it looked uh, much better than, than the effect on some of this old stuff. And it also worked on, uh, on metal level since it eventually turned out to be a somewhat time travel based book. Hey, travel back yeah. to the 90s for a bit. Yeah, yeah. But this cover was done by Mr. John Romita Jr. and inked, I believe, by Klaus Janssen. So, um, it, it definitely has that look to it. Um, so this is written by uh, Scott Lobdell and and Mark Wade, and definitely again I think we noticed this even before that the Wade the stuff Wade had his hand in seemed to have uh, the dialogue a little better plotted out. I think it it just felt like it was a it was a more well written book than than some of the others that that we've seen uh, for sure. And the pencils are by Roger Cruz, who in his career has done a ton of X Men work. I mean, somewhat recently. Um, as as well as as you know, going back into the '90s, he's he's got a pretty storied career with various X books um, across the line. And I thought overall the art was was pretty solid in this book. I think I think he did a good job. I mean, th- it had like four or five different inkers on it, which at, at the time these books, like I said, they they were fairly on time. So and this is a huge issue. This is you know kind of double size plus, uh, you know, to cap it off. So I imagine it's just one of those things where 
they just needed all those guys to get to you know to make sure the thing got out on time so they could you know restart the line and have it everything you know fall into place just like it was supposed to so and the, the art is a little inconsistent throughout the book and you know like you said because it's got the multiple anchors but i got to say these first 3 pages you know if this book came out on the stands today and just i just look at these 3 pages i would think it was a brand new book like it looks yeah. very very modern yeah no i totally agree with you i mean the first page we get is a single page splash of Magneto, uh, you know, long hair in this, you know, black form-fitting costume with this energy, magnetic energy cycling around him um, with this mean look on his face, you know, sweaty, bloody, um, everything. It's it's a really good representation of, of Magneto, I thought. And he's standing in the Apocalypse's uh, McDonald's skull ball pit. You don't want to lose your kid in there. <laughs> no, you will never find him or her. So it kind of starts with this, you know, big confrontation between Magneto and Apocalypse. And, and we see that the, the two of them are just kind of going at it. When we cut back, we see that Magneto's kind of been, been blindsided by Holocaust. And, uh, they have their kind of, uh, hero villain monologue thing going on here. Magneto, at, at this point, Apocalypse, you know, says that he has, he was able to, or th- that uh, the Madri have have been able to siphon off uh, Bishop's memories, and th- they've kind of he's he understands you know what's really going on. This other alternate future exists, and that you know he's not you know, he's he's not he's not going to let it come to pass. And they know like he knows now that the current timeline they have is not really the the quote unquote true timeline. And then he kind of chimes in too that the Shadow King is is well aware of what's going on. And that he has a shard, he has the shard of the Macron crystal, um, because he, Apocalypse thinks he's, he's laid a trap. Magneto says, you know, no, you know, just having captured me, my X-Men are not going to come to, to rescue me. They, you know, they, they're not going to fall into your trap. And that's when Apocalypse kind of, uh, lays it on him that, you know, yeah, they're not going to come for you, but they will come for this Macron crystal that, you know, is the, is the whole point behind their, you know this whole event, you, the, all of these separate adventures and separate, you know, storylines that have have taken place. They've all been to kind of move the pieces on the board. And one of the big pieces was to get the Macron crystal so that, uh, you know, history can be set back right. Right. Does isn't Bishop need to use the uh, power of that crystal as a catalyst to to set the timeline right? Isn't that how it works? Yes. Yes. Now it has been so long since we started. As you pointed out in the beginning, Russ, can you give us a quick refresher on why the Macron crystal started breaking down in the first place and why all of reality started collapsing in on itself? In the original timeline, Jean Grey healed the Macron crystal because it was it was it, it had become dam it was damaged. Um, and this is back way back in X Men history. I mean, this is like early Claremont Byrne stuff when she first became Phoenix. That's what happened. And so because of this reality where Xavier was killed so so early on, Jean never, you know, grew up, became the Phoenix, went to the Shi'ar space, healed the crystal, and then, you know, set reality straight. So because the crystal, it's kind of like this nexus of all realities thing. It, it It's this big universal construct. Because that thing was damaged, it just continued to break down until it started consuming all of the universe. Um, and eventually it got to Earth and just completely destroyed everything. So by them setting history straight, they put everything back on the path, and the Macron crystal was healed by the Phoenix, and, you know, history was, was saved. So in every possible version of the Marvel Universe, then every, uh, you know, 616, 1660, and all the others, some version of the Phoenix or something similar must have 
uh, repair the crystal at that point in time, we, we must assume? Yeah, or if whatever, if there's a reality exists that the crystal never, you know, was never flawed to begin with, or it was never damaged, or never needed to be repaired, or just doesn't exist, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, but at least in these realities, that that's the case. That's the catalyst for all of the bad things happening. But our focus is just on these two, of course. Correct. Apocalypse reveals that he has the crystal, and he says, you know, the, the big thing he says is self-regenerating crystal. You know, only had a shard. That's all they, they had. But yet you can see here that it's, it's you know, turning into this huge, you know, block, um, and it's kind of regrowing. Um, and yet he, you know, as we'll find out later, he still maintains his, his portion of it. So goes after Magneto and tells them, you know, that there's, that there's no way they're going to take that world away from him. And that he's, you know, at this point, Apocalypse thinks he has the upper hand. Um, to outside New York, and we see, you know, just, again, like we've seen in, in many of these books, the, the devastation, you know, it's, it's like, Mag Apocalypse has his stronghold that's very well preserved and, and you know, in, in its own little entity, and everything outside of that is pretty much in disrepair or destroyed or very, very run down. And we see Angel, who has, at, at this point, he's he's kind of gotten himself a little dose of reality, and he realizes that everything he had and everything he valued around him is has pretty much started to crumble. And he's kind of got a little bit of a of a streak in him that he feels like he's got to set things right or, you know, make things right or, you know, kind of do penance for um, for his his careless attitude that he's had. And Karma, who is kind of like his right hand woman, was was taken, you know, earlier, as we saw in, in Amazing X-Men. And so Angel has decided to go after her um, and he finds out where she's being held. He fights fights off some of Apocalypse's henchmen that had her. And we find out really it's just it's too late. Um, he he was not he was not able to save her, but at least he kind of had that you know that 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 last moment with her as she as she dies in his arms. So now he lost his nightclub where he's kind of kind of trying to play both ends against the middle. You know what I mean? It, it was kind of apocalypse knew about it, but it was kind of you know a, a clandestine meeting place. It seemed you know at the beginning of this this event. So now he's lost heaven, his, his nightclub, and his right hand. Yeah. And she even makes the point that saying, you know, I, 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 I helped Apocalypse for free. And that's, you know, kind of was their modus operandi for a long time is, you know, nothing was free. You know, he, both, if you, he, he would funnel a little bit of information to Apocalypse, he'd funnel, funnel some information to Magneto and all for a price. And a lot of times it was just to kind of keep everything at bay so he could have his own, you know, little slice of, of, of heaven, so to speak, um, and not be bothered by everybody else. And that, uh, like I said, that all came came crashing down. Cut back to um, the the newly reunited X Men, who um, Blink has all teleported into into New York, and um, they are ready to to take everyone on. This had to be a cool moment for anybody reading it as it came out back in the day. Having all of a sudden, I believe it's eleven different team members all showing up. Finally, been following through all these books, and now they're all together in one uh, single splash. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You definitely felt like it, it it had truly all come together here. I mean, after reading all these disparate minis, and for the most part, a lot of them, um, you know, didn't, there wasn't a lot of cross-pollination. You know, we kind of got the little bit in the beginning, and, and occasionally some, some of them would show up in the other minis. But for the most part, it was everybody doing their own thing. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to see them, the band, back together, so to speak. Um, but they teleport in, and they're they're kind of expecting this huge fight. And they really don't get it. So they're wondering what's, you know, what's going on? Why is it that they were able to, you know, to get to this point yet, 
not, you know, not, basically just kind of come in uh, unmolested. Uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And Gambit runs across the Dark Beast, who he pulls out of hiding. This whole mission has to continue. And we start to see where Colossus is getting a little unhinged. You know, he's not, he's finally, you know, kind of reunited back with his sister. And he's very, being very protective of her. And, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, to lose her again or to have her, you know, sacrifice herself needlessly. So he's starting, we kind of see this over the course of the issue where he starts to get a little bit, you know, more and more and more unhinged until um, ultimately it kind of has catastrophic consequences. So then we cut back to Gene and Scott, who are pretty much where we left them at, uh, some time ago. And um, they are trying to rescue what's left of of all of the humans that were uh, locked up in the pens, all, all of the prisoners that were locked up in the pens, and they've, they've started to escape. And, you know, just as kind of they're, they're about to make their, their, you know, get their freedom, we see that there's a figure in the back that's looming. And, uh, we'll come to find out very soon that that's Havoc. And to me, that was a little, I guess, telegraphed at this point. I mean, you kind of figure there'd be the big confrontation between Scott and, and Alex coming up, but, uh, he was kind of hiding in the back to, to just kind of play along until, he can make his move at this point. It was also a little weird. I mean, I guess in retrospect now they've revisited the AOA universe and it still exists to an extent, but it's weird that they're wasting their time, quote unquote, in 95 or whenever this was to rescue all these people when, as far as they know, their timeline isn't going to exist in about 20 minutes. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is just like hedging of bets. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, one aspect of it was to try and fix the timeline, but if that couldn't be done, you know, they had to kind of cover cover themselves. And two, you know, they may not know what happens, you know, with talk of splintering timelines and things like that. You know, it could be that they were allowed to continue on while things were fixed in this other reality or people were able to kind of go back where they belong. So that's that's kind of how I took it. Maybe I was just reading reading a little too much into or thinking overthinking a little bit, but that's that's how I justified it to myself, at least. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so the crew looks above, uh, they hear and see all this gunfire and this battle taking place up ahead, and we see that Angel has uh, strapped a bunch of explosives onto himself, and he makes a dive straight for the force field uh, generator that's that's kind of uh, keeping uh, you know everybody out of Apocalypse's stronghold, and in a, in a final moment of self-sacrifice, he blows the whole thing up killing himself in the process. So poor Warren Worthington did not have a happy end here. Well, no, but like I said, you know, in the, when the last scene with him, he just kind of, he kind of lost it all. You know, he was, when we first see him in AOA, he's like kind of, you know, he has his own nightclub. He's in this position of power. He's been able to broker information back and forth between the, you know, the rebels and apocalypse. And now we see, you know, he's lost everything and, and he has nothing left to do but sacrifice himself for the cause, you know. Now, w were suicide bombings as in the public consciousness when this was uh, published as they are now? That no. was something I was curious about. Yeah, no, no. I, I don't think that really became, came to prominence until you know, maybe early, like later, two th I think, you know, after the whole 9-11 thing, I think that really became kind of a, a, a bigger deal. I mean, I think it happened and you'd heard... You know, mainly in the Middle East, you know, occasionally, but I don't think it didn't become as prominent as it is today. That for sure. Gotcha. So since Angel was able to, oh, one thing I was going to, I was going to make a make a side reference. Uh, seeing Angel in that club in heaven reminds me of Michael Sheen's character from Tron Legacy. I don't know if you guys saw Tron Legacy. Uh, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. But he's he, the nightclub know, owner. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, little, you know, you're trying to figure out what his deal is. 
I think this book would read much differently if I superimposed Michael Sheen's mannerisms from Tron onto <laughs> Angel when rereading the series. But yeah, when, when I remember when I saw that, it just it just reminded me a lot of that. And, and vice versa, reading this, it reminded me of that scene as well. So since uh, Angel was able to blow up the shield generator, it's given uh, Nate Summers time to, uh, you know, to basically start climbing up Spider-Man style. Uh, the side of Apocalypse's tower to to you know base it to join in on the fray because he's got a, a bit of a score to settle as well. So at this point, we again we cut back to uh, Apocalypse, and uh, he's been informed that the entire Southwest Kingdom no longer exists; it's all gone. Um, and this is a direct result of the Human High Council uh, setting off all the nukes to attack North America in an effort to you know finally wipe Apocalypse out, as we saw in in the previous in miniseries that we talked about where they, you know, kind of had this this boat lift of people off from Maine to get out of the U.S. over to the United Kingdom as kind of this last refuge of humanity. Um, and so now that that's kind of taken place, it's all bets are off and the Human High Council is looking to just kind of scorch the earth in an effort to get rid of Apocalypse. Again, we get a couple really, you know, art-wise, again, you know, this this panel of, of Nate climbing up the, the side I also see Jordan too, where you know you talk about the art kind of shifting a little bit. You could definitely tell, at least for me, and I'm not the greatest at this. I'll fully admit of kind of identifying different inking styles, but you can definitely tell there's there's a bit of a shift because Nate looks a little sketchier. The way Apocalypse is drawn is kind of the same way, um, and the, the the bottom half of that panel is really cool. I like the way that Apocalypse. It, we just see kind of the the one half of his face and his, the top of his. His shoulder. I just like the way that's framed, and and it's a really good representation of Apocalypse. I thought. Yeah, definitely, and it's interesting. You know, you point out the inking and how it changes, but not even just from page to page, like you see a lot. You know, especially when people are down to the wire on deadlines. But in this book, it felt like some panels were even inked by different people within pages. That's possible. It's possible. So then we get another exchange, you know, between, you know, Magneto obviously blames uh, Apocalypse for the, for this whole thing. Um, and it's, it's funny, but Magneto gives a speech. He says, good God, millions of lives. You madmen, what have you done? What have you done? It kind of reminded me. You blew me, it all down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a very Charlton Heston of Planet of the Apes moment there, um, which I thought was kind of funny. It'd be pretty hard to pull a rifle out of Magneto's cold, dead hands, or before they were cold and dead anyway because of the magnetism. It'd be a very tricky. But now, you know, maybe it was a 3D printed gun, and then you could pry it away because he couldn't hold on to it. Now, I, I want to see an X-Men story now where Magneto has to deal with things in the world being 3D printed so he can't actually manipulate them. Yeah, yeah. It's like that plastic prison in... Uh, in X and X Men One and X Men Two, exactly. And then some stupid, printable prisons. Yes, and then some stupid guard brings him a piece of metal that he swallowed. Anyway, um. So anyway, so the fight commences, recommences between uh, Apocalypse and Magneto. And at this point, Apocalypse is really not too concerned about uh, Magneto. He doesn't really, you know, th- feel he's a threat. He thinks he's still, even though he's kind of losing ground. Apocalypse still thinks he's got the upper hand and that he will prevail. Um, and then, boom, out of nowhere, Apocalypse is hit and goes flying. Um, and we find out that, you know, Nate has has made his way up and has joined the fray. And then we get this cool panel of Magneto and Nate kind of side by side looking to take on Apocalypse and Holocaust. And I know it's nitpicky, but where did that helmet come from? Yeah, no, I, th- I thought the same thing when I was reading this. I was like, well, all of a sudden he's got the helmet. I'm, I'm I, The only thing I can figure is... 
at some point they took it away from him while they had him under guard there and got it back. But yeah, I thought that was, and it looks like he's putting it on. You can see how he's got his hands on the helmet, yeah, yeah. like he's securing it. But yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, where did he get that? I guess it's like in those movies when, you know, they take away all the weapons and gear from a carrot from, you know, the heroes. And when they break out of the prison that they're held in, all of a sudden they're able to find their weapons and stuff like right there that they just pick yeah. up and walk they away. They do with. that in video games a uh, lot too. It's a cool look though, Magneto wearing just the helmet and the black jumpsuit. Yeah, the black definitely. And this is kind of at, at a time when, um, they did something similar with Xavier where he had the, uh, when he was able to sneak up on Magneto, this is kind of after the, the Admanium was ripped out of, out of Wolverine. Um, and they lobotomized Magneto, but it was kind of the same same concept where they Xavier had this all black outfit to kind of shield him from everything and snuck up on him. So I, I thought of that too when I saw Magneto with this all black, you know, skin tight suit on with the and then of course with the helmet. I don't know if that was a deliberate callback or not, but I definitely saw some similarity. So we cut back to our heroes who continued their attack, and we get this really cool effect. Um, where Blink opens these mini portals, Gambit is able to throw a bunch of his cards out to to kind of start the attack through there. So I thought that was kind of a cool way that they used like the combo powers that we see that we you know we don't I don't think we see quite enough to be honest with you. I think we see them a lot of times in the video games and 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 stuff. But you know that I always like when when you take two characters and you know use their powers in a in an additive manner and i thought that was a that was a cool effect so then we see that the destiny has come up to they find where the macron crystal is and as destiny approaches it because her power is to to see the future uh she kind of is interacting with the crystal which is kind of strange but uh but it has a cool effect and she's seeing you know history unfold and the events uh take place as they as both as they have and as they should have uh, and we see in that last panel there is Magneto pulling the Admanium out from from Wolverine in that last panel. And then she realizes that, you know, again, she comes to the realization that it's all true. That time is broken and that this isn't how things should be and that, that they have no choice. But, the you know, they have to facilitate Bishop's journey back into the past so that he can repair everything. And the, the Age of Apocalypse version of Pietro, uh, Quicksilver, is very noble. And he wants to to escort them in and join. And Destiny says, nope, only the three of us can go in because we three no longer have counterparts in this other reality, uh, which is kind of true, but not really true. I mean, Bishop does have a counterpart in the other reality, sort of. He is a time traveler. And so like we talked about in the past, that that's always used them. They've always been able to use that as a loophole for him to kind of get around a lot of these crazy time travel things because he's always considered to kind of be this man out of time. And it's not really certain if he comes from an alternate reality himself. So... For him to go back is, it's not really breaking the rules because it's kind of this broken, this continuous broken rule that they've established for his character. It's also interesting because not only are they sending them back to, you know, actual comics past, but the past within the universe as well. So lots of the people right. standing around there wouldn't have counterparts yet. Right. No, I, it, true, true. But it's all timey-wimey kind of stuff, you know. Right. kind of got to go with it. So again, we see where Peter's starting to... You know, he's he's just saying, you know, no, you know, he doesn't want her to go. And then they're saying, you know, B Bishop was must act alone and soon. So then we cut back to Holocaust and Nate fighting. I just wanted to say I really like the splash page here with the over the back of uh, Holocaust. 
the 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 perspective seems kind of weird on his leg legs though. Yes, yes. Like he has tiny little spindly legs. Uh, yeah. And like really long like clown feet almost. But uh, I do like the katash at the top. That's very nice and all the little crystals. He's the only character in the entire series that doesn't have thighs that are bigger around than most people's torsos. But he has the big shoulder. He has the big yeah. shoulders like everyone too. Like like Colossus and <laughs> Apocalypse and those guys. So. Yeah. So as they as they crash the party, um, so to speak. Uh, I think Rogue you mean if they catash to... the party. Yes, they catash the party. Yes. I got I some catash the other night. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a new thing now. We need to start that meme. Uh, so Rogue is able to kind of jump jump in on and uh, lend Nate a hand and kind of uh, help keep the heat off of the rest of the team while they, you know, kind of get their get their bearings together. Um, which also, because the fight is spilled over, allows Magneto to to pop in. And it always just seems weird how these characters kind of pop in and pop out. It's like they're in the middle of this huge fight, and now Magneto is just like taking his time, and he has this, uh, you know, conversation with Ileana. It just seemed, I don't know, it just seemed kind of disjointed to me. Like things weren't quite like the the actions following each other didn't seem to really logically makes sense when you when you realize what magneto was doing in the frame before it 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 didn't seem logical that he would be in that spot not in a in a knockdown drag out but i i understand what you mean it's like here's here's the giant confrontation you know here they are finally fighting the duking it out in the last big confrontation of aoa and uh action at every turn and Let's stop for a small moment where we all talk to each other. Just, yeah, I understand exactly what you yeah. mean. It just really kind of ruined the pace of the comic and, uh, you know, seemed out of place. It was very important. She learned a very special message about friendship, Jim. And making promises. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. You know, again, Peter is trying to push her away from it. And, um, you know, she wants, she wants a promise. Um, and you know, Magneto tells her flat out, you know, I cannot command you to help us. You know, I can only tell you that, you know, we can't do this without you, that we can't make this, this world a better place. And then Ileana kind of asks, you know, uh, you know, it, it, is it a place where there's no, where there's no sugar man? And it, and it's cool because Magneto doesn't, doesn't promise her, you know, like Peter says, no, you know, he can't. He says, I believe so. I believe it with all my heart. Again, she, she wants this promise from Magneto and Magneto never actually promises her any which which it makes sense i mean he you know magneto is is kind of a, a realist above anything else and i i could i could see where he wouldn't make a false promise um but but bishop kind of comes in and says he says in our world there's hope you know hope that you know we can you, you know working hard enough and and reaching far enough that you know we can we can get the rid of world of you know fear and prejudice and hatred um, and he says, this, I swear to you. So he, again, he doesn't even say, you know, hey, there's, it's not that there's not going to be a sugar man or there's not going to be, you know, bad things happen, but it's not going to be like it is now. And, and there's much more opportunity for us to, to do the right thing. And then Ileana says, then I'd rather we have hope than nothing at all. And in 20 years, I'm going to try to kill hope. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, the other thing that, that's interesting about this is, you know, she says, is, can you promise me there's no sugar man? And, um, Sugar Man is one of the things uh, in this crazy universe that makes it back to our time. So I just thought that was funny. She, you know, she obviously has this this fear of Sugar Man, um, and he's he's able able to actually make it back and kind of becomes a nemesis of Generation X. You know, after the big switchover. And was she one of the members of Gen X? No, no, she wasn't. At this point, she was dead in the in the six one six. 
Um, oh, oh, that's right. I'm, I'm thinking when she crosses over, but that's a, a different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Jubilee and and M and and the rest of those guys. You know, they're they're all Emma Banshee. They're all Generation X. So she he becomes kind of a nuisance for them for a while. So the you know, time is running out for them. The 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 stronghold is starting to to come apart. And then may and then again, this is Colossus just becomes even more unhinged. Basically says, you know, you better pray hard that your decision is worthwhile. Otherwise, we'll be enemies forever. Which is funny because in the in our time, you know, obviously Colossus and Magneto are enemies, but Colossus was the one when Magneto went up to Avalon and had his acolytes, and and Colossus kind of became disillusioned with what Professor X was doing, uh, and he actually left the X Men, and when when Magneto was kind of in this vegetative state that they put him in. He actually went up there to kind of caretake uh, for Magneto and and left the X-Men for quite some time. So uh, it, it's interesting that they make such a point, you know, about them being enemies forever, which is kind of true and yet untrue at this time. So the fight continues. We cut out back to Jean and Scott. And, um, you know, she says it's too late. You know, the bombs, they've unleashed the bombs. They're on their way to New York. Scott says, you know, sure, I don't I don't see the, you know, I don't see the bombs. But um, but Jean knows it, and of course she sees Wolverine, Logan, Weapon X, whatever, whatever, however you want to refer to him in this in the in this universe, um, has has parachuted off and kind of catches her eye. Um, and then we cut back again to Nate and Holocaust fighting, and Nate is just completely unleashing his psychic power on on Holocaust, and as we'll see, not only in the in the Age of Apocalypse, but we'll see it in in the 616 when Nate actually makes the transition back that when he uses his powers um, and overexerts himself that he starts to, you know, get the bloody nose, he gets weak, he passes out. Um, it really affects him physically. Like he doesn't have that techno organic virus like Cable does to kind of keep things in check and to keep him from overexerting and overusing his powers. Uh, without that, it's like he just has anemia. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He ends up, you know, burning up his body is what, you know, what it is. And that becomes a huge kind of plot point uh, that went on for a really long time after uh, Nate comes back to the 616. I mean, his his book went on for, I think, 75 issues. It it went. Yeah, nearly as long as Cable's own book did. Yeah, yeah. Cable went on for like, I think, 110, but obviously. I think 109. Yeah, but obviously it had a bit of a head start um, before uh, before. Cable did, but yeah, they both kind of ended around that same time. I think that's when they did that Counter X thing when Warren Ellis uh, kind of stepped in to take things over in the in the late nineties. But uh, why do his psionic spikes look like bubbles? I don't know. <laughs> Seems like they're poorly named. Somebody was, uh, I think, experimenting with uh, Photoshop coloring or computer coloring, and just was like, "Oh, we can make these cool sphere shapes." So we cut to this this double page splash again. Um, you know, huge battle taking place, all these crazy mutant characters, um, all the heroes, crazy abilities and, and going everywhere. Um, and at this moment we see, and this is kind of, it's actually kind of cool, cool thing. Sugar Man shrunk himself down and hid himself inside Colossus's boot. Um, and at this time, amongst all the chaos, he decides he's going to jump out and jump into the Macron crystal. Um, and of course, uh, this isn't the last time we'll see, we'll see Sugar Man. And that's kind of how he, uh, crosses over to to the six one six, and and it's real interesting because we'll see that we'll see that Sugar Man and Dark Beast make this transition over, and they actually land on Earth in 
in the past. Then we'll see like Nate and Holocaust make the switch over and they land in the present day of the Marvel Universe. So it's kind of interesting how um, and, and for obvious reasons, I mean, they, they both didn't use the same the same method as, as we'll get to. But but um, they kind of retconned in Sugar Man and Dark Beast, having a lot of manipulations to events that had already taken place in the Marvel Universe at, to that to that point. And of course, Dark Beast is a counterpart to Beast, but there's no Sugar Man no. 616 native counterpart. No, right? He no. was a genetically engineered thing. Correct, correct. Again, Colossus is, is, is really going berserk and he's ready to jump into the crystal too and go after Ileana and die by her side. Uh, Iceman, you know, tries to get him to stop. And because he's in this ice form, Colossus charges through, shatters him into a million pieces. You know, he's like berserker rage at this point. I mean, he's completely uncontrollable. And um, Gambit is able to come behind him and, and kind of blast him uh, to, to, to slow him down. I feel like I might have said this in a previous AOA episode, but why does Gambit keep referring to him as Holmes? He's He's, you know from Louisiana, and the other guy is from Russia or whatever. Neither one of them would normally be saying the word Holmes, and certainly not that often. He's saying the word uh, Hom, which is man, French French for man. Oh, okay. Not so Holmes. Not Holmes. No. But Hom. Okay, Holm. well, that makes a lot more sense then, because I was like, that is weird. No, it's, yeah. it's French for man or dude. That That's something that, uh, that Gambit has used from day one. I mean, that's, yeah. So we cut back to the crystal. And we get these series of of panels as as they look through many facets of the of the crystal itself, and we get these really cool callbacks to, you know, past X Men characters and history uh, and things going on. I really like the one of Angel in his, I guess that's like the Neil Adams era, uh, Angel looking costume. I thought that was that was kind of a cool, cool choice. It's an interesting costume. I hate the color though. He looks like a McDonald's uh, mascot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When towards the end of the Original 66, the costumes got a little divergent. Um, and, and like I said, I think that was kind of when the, when the Neil, Neil Adams era came in, uh, it actually had kind of a bit of an uptick before it canceled creatively. I mean, it was, it was kind of stagnant prior to that, but, but those guys kind of came in and uh, finished it off and, and it actually ended on kind of a high note. So yeah, they redid the costumes because the sales were so bad on X-Men at the time. Yeah. They ju- were trying to juice it by putting Neil Adams on it and then, you know, changing up the costumes and, and all that, because, I mean, up until that point, there were still, you know, variants on the original, you know, uh, uh, uniform costumes that they started out with, with Kirby design. Yeah, that's why they went with these kind of, you know, brighter, bolder costumes uh, during the Neil Adams run. And suspenders. I still take that Marvel Girl costume, I'm sorry. Yes. No, I agree. I totally agree. So Destiny tells Ileana that, you know, she has to, it, the next step is her. She has to use her powers. Uh, and Ileana says, you know, I don't have any powers. You know, I, I, what do I do? I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. And Destiny says, you know, we're at the nexus of all possibilities. Just open your mind, concentrate. It'll, it'll happen. Um, and sure enough, a huge doorway opens and Bishop walks on through. So then we cut back to the human high council, um, to Moira McTaggart and, and one of the Trasks. And, uh, they realize that, uh, the, the apocalypse defense grid is, is no longer limited to defense. Uh, so they are all being attacked and they realize at that moment that they're pretty much, their days are, their minutes are numbered at, at this point. Kind of a little bit of a mirror to when we last left the 616 and everybody was huddling together, embracing the fact that they were about to die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So at this point, Magneto's pretty fired up, you know, based on what's going on. And we get this really cool, I, I really like this look for Magneto. Again, you know, we kind of talked about that a lot so far. A huge blast goes out. Apocalypse kind of shields his eyes and is surprised to, to see Magneto return, calls him a coward. Uh, and Magneto starts stripping all of the metal from everywhere around him and making it form up on him you know, like a like a suit of armor, gauntlets and, and body armor, and, and and starts to to really take the offensive on uh, Apocalypse, and he even you know throws in the obligatory uh, you know Hitler World War II reference, which you know it, if it's Magneto, he's usually gotta gotta th- gotta throw that in there uh, at some point. Yeah, th- this costume doesn't make a lick of sense logistically, but I love the look and I love the idea. It's probably my favorite you know double page spread from the entire. And it's not really a, a splash, but just a two-page combo of the uh, entire Age of Apocalypse in, t- in its entirety. It's just really neat looking. Yeah, yeah the layout is really cool. The layout is really cool on this page. It, it, it's almost prescient of uh, Onslaught, uh, the way that his armor looks. You know what I mean? It kind of looks like, a little a bit, like yeah. the Onslaught design. Um, yeah, yeah. And how lucky was uh, Magneto that all the metal in that room was red? Yeah. So they, again, Magneto kind of starts to take back the offensive on Apocalypse, uh, and at that point, Rogue tells him to hold up because we see that strong guy uh, has Charles. And once again, just that quickly, Magneto retain, or regains the upper hand. Well, if strong guy has Charles, doesn't that mean, doesn't that, mean that Apocalypse has the upper hand? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, so we cut back to Gene, Scott, and Wolverine. Gene is basically holding off the nuclear attack with all of her power as you know, just as long as she can. Hopefully until, you know, the, the, the prisoners that they've rescued can escape and possibly even to allow the, the other crew time to do what they need to do to, to stop everything. As this continues, we see Wolverine sneak, you know, is coming up behind. He sees Havoc charging up and he yells out to try and stop him. And Gene is blasted full force from Havoc, uh, in, in the back, taken down and, and really at this point, you know, taken out. And at that point, uh, Cyclops kind of loses it. I mean, he just goes crazy and just tells Alex, you know, you're, you idiot. You know, that was the only thing keeping back the bombs. You know, now there's no more time. He, he, he is so enraged. His optic blast is, is charged up so hard. It literally shatters the visor that he had around him. And the two of them just kind of go start to go at it and have it, you know, kind of gives his, he, he feels bad because he wasn't the favored son thing. He says, at long last I win, so long as I can remember you've had it all and I've had nothing, but the victory is all mine. And uh, he thinks he's going to get the upper hand, and then as we see, uh, Wolverine comes up from behind him and and takes him down. Now, is this a way to get around answering the question of like which Summers b- uh, brother would win in a battle or something? I don't know if that was a really big uh, contested question, like who's faster, Superman or the Flash, that type of thing. Yeah, I guess. I mean, well, the- in, well in the Marvel Universe, their powers cancel each other out. Yeah, I remember they had a big point of that in that in the uh, Proteus story. I just reread that recently, actually. That you know, if they tried to blast one another, their powers cancel each other out. Yeah, there's that famous cover. I think it's from. I think it's it's when he first showed up. It's like one of the first sixty six where the two of them are facing off on the cover with each other, and it's just like the 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 blast. Yeah, they negate each other. So whenever they fight, they end up pretty much dropping the the powers and have to go, you know, fisticuffs because the powers are useless against each other. Slap fight. So it's a non-issue. It's a slap fight. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Especially with those two. (laughs) Cut it out. (laughs) I really love, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but I I love how throughout this issue, 
there's the I think it starts with that 30 minutes, but Armageddon minus yes. 30, then 20, then 15. And as you get further along in the book, you know, it stops going by five minute increments. It's just one minute. And then I think it gets down to seconds later on. But it's a kind of a cool way of keeping track of what's going on, especially like when you said earlier, characters are kind of jumping in and out of battle to have uh, soliloquies back and forth. Yeah, and there's a lot of moving parts going on, so and it kind of gives you a passage of time too. Like, okay, you know, how long is this, you know, taking to, you know, what's what's really happening, kind of thing. So Logan is able to kind of go up to the dying Jean, and they kind of have their moment to to reunite, and you know, she basically says, you know, she's always loved him, and we, and we kind of get this little bit here of, but though he desperately wants to believe otherwise, he knows that it, that that his beloved Gene is no Phoenix. So again, they kind of, they kind of bring in the Phoenix metaphor here. And in this, you know, kind of the punctuate in this reality that, you know, none of that ever happened. So we cut back and at this point we're minus 10, but we see Bishop has come through the portal. We're at that moment when David is, is about, is attacking Magneto and, and Charles is, is coming up behind him. Uh, and just as about, just as Bishop is about to stop him, uh, he's grabbed whole, he's, he's, so you know he somebody grabs him he turns around and it's his uh younger self they kind of have this this bit of confrontation here and then we cut back to uh to dark beast who is able to uh get away from morph at this point uh and and go into the transporter and and at this moment we see that blink and and pietro are manning but blink is trying to protect pietro from manning the console and you know she's she's trying to he he's trying to to adjust the transporter. That's when Pietro says, "Well, he's done it, but he's uh, he's 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 allowed him to rematerialize in the very center of the Macran crystal." And then we cut again, so it's kind of like a dun 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 moment. So, you know, again, we've seen two two nefarious characters uh, have gone into the Macron crystal, kind of see what happens, what how things go from there. And I'd ha- I'd have to assume, you know, going back almost twenty years here, that the characters that make it through are based on what the authors want and not necessarily fan reaction of, oh, I really like this character because there wouldn't really have been enough time in 1995 for all those letters to have been counted. I'm assuming, or, or am I completely wrong on that? Was some of this based on fan reaction? I, I doubt it. I, I think you're, you know, the first assessment is right. I mean, by the time you're getting fan letters in, you know, at, at this time, this is really pre-internet. I mean, the internet existed, but it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today. By the time the third or fourth issue came out, that's when, you know, a lot of this stuff is really coming in. Um, and given how far ahead they have to be with art and everything else, yeah, I mean, this is all done before they even really, you know, get the first bits of, you know, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. So when the when this series finally wrapped up, do you remember the fan reaction to the characters that did make it through? Were people generally happy or unhappy or indifferent? The reaction was pretty positive. I mean, Gen X at that time was a pretty popular book. Um, I, I, Sugar Man was definitely not one of my favorite characters. I mean, of all of them that I would pick to, to come through that, that wasn't one of them, but I think it became a point of if you had too many characters coming back that had counterparts in, in both universes, then it would just become gimmicky. Right. You know, so, so, and they pretty much kept him isolated for the most part to Gen X. So it, I, I think it worked. The Dark Beast thing I think was cool because, you know, Henry McCoy was a pretty righteous character and very ethical and, you know, man of science and spoke very eloquently. And so you have this character that is just mean and nasty and kind of, um, you know, almost like a, like a Nazi scientist kind of thing going on. I, I think it added a cool dynamic. Uh, and for a while he, re- he actually replaced our, uh, beast 
and and posed as as the good beast while he had you know the regular beast uh, captured. So so th- I think that worked out. And the Nate thing, I thought, I think, I think the thing that maybe people kind of rolled their eyes a little bit at first of was the Nate, you know, with Nate crossing over and getting his own series because that was that was pretty much well known before this ended. Like we knew that X Man was going to be a, a continuing series going on, um, and I think a lot of that just was we already had Cable. You know, Cable was showing up still periodically in X-Force. We went through the whole thing with Strife, and now we've got yet another Summers, you know, clone or or another, you know, version of, of Cable running around. To me, it just felt like overload, you know, just like how much Cable do we really need? Well, was that fatigue starting to set in at that point, or did it take a couple more years? Um, I guess it depends. Like, I think with the hardcore fans like Russ, it took longer uh, to settle in. I do know that I mean, they lost some readers in the 90s just from attrition from, from that kind of thing, from it being too convoluted and too, you know, interconnected. And, you know, oh, I can't just pick up an X-Men book. I have to read, you know, six other books that month and also, you know, this much continuity. And this is before Wikipedia. You couldn't just, you know, dial up Wikipedia, read, and be caught up on the continuity. I mean, it was something you had to follow along. And I, I think that that's why they kind of imploded. And now they have fewer, you know, they had fewer X-Books for a while, and now they're just starting to... You know, build back up to where they were in the 90s. Right. For me, I mean, I think I, it kind of hit me right away. I mean, I hung on to Cable through, like, they had there was an Onslaught tie-in issue to Cable, and then I was out. And the same thing with X-Men. I kind of quit both those books around the same time. I just really lost interest in them. To me, they just, the stories weren't going anywhere. There really wasn't much going on. Um you know, there was a lot of like retreading of the same material over and over again. So I kind of walked away from both of those books about the same time, probably like 97, 98 ish. Um, not too far away from the end of their run, but, uh, you know, but, but far enough. And, and I've, I've since gone in and backfilled a lot of those issues, you know, with, you know, bin diving and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I, I grew tired of it pretty quick, actually. Fair enough. Yeah. So after Pietro has teleported, Dark Beast into the into the Macron Crystal. We cut back and we're at minus five now, and we cut over to uh, Kitty Pride and and Gambit, who are again continuing the fight. And at this point, Colossus has pretty much lost his effing mind, and he's just completely berserk because this is right after Gambit has blasted him, even though that was several pages ago. And so he's uh, Colossus is able to recover from it um, and just goes crazy. And Kitty gets in his way to kind of stop him because he's about to steamroll all over Gambit. Um, and in the process, he literally crushes Kitty. This to me was a little, I kind of took this as, okay, this is ending. We could pull out all the stops and we could do stuff just for shock value. Like I didn't, I saw this as kind of coming out of nowhere. Like it didn't seem very natural to me. I mean, I get the emotional impact of it. The two of them being involved in both, you know, in both universes and especially in this one, uh, you know, for him to in a berserker rage to to kill his wife, uh, I thought was, you know, again, had that had that impact, but just kind of at the same time came out of nowhere. And at that point, Gambit is, is slightly recovered and he's a little mad because Kitty, you know, he's now killed Kitty that he he really tears into uh, to Colossus. Uh, and there's this, whatever this is, acid or corrosive material or whatever it is that's running around. Um, it's, it's really taken its toll on Colossus. Uh, and he turns around and he's able to see Ileana. She's come out of the crystal. Uh, she's completed her journey. 
she her, her mission. She's she's done what it was she was supposed to do. As damaged as he is, Colossus decides to revert back to his human form. You know, just says, you know, I'm I'm, I'm scared. Forgive me. Basically, stay here with me as I die. Um, and with everything going on, Pietro's able to to swoop her up uh, and cart her off uh, as 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 Peter as Peter you know lays there and dies. And her now was I under the the, mis- the false impression rather that he was stuck in his metal form in the, in the AOA. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I don't think they, I don't think they mentioned that he was stuck in that form. Is this just like this? Let me try that over again. Is this just the only time we see him in human form? Then? Yes. Or am I forgetting one? No, okay. th- yeah, this is the only time we've seen him that way. Too strong guy who still has, who still has Charles, and Rogue is able to to kind of get up on him and basically steal away all his power. So he, his mass and his size and his his strength and his muscle his musculature is what gives him powers. And she's able to siphon all that energy off uh, and then give it back to him all at once, which pretty much kills him in the process. Which is interesting because, I, you know, we've seen where Rogue is able to, you know, siphon off people's powers and, and amalgamate them. But I've never seen where she's able to siphon off the energy and then shoot it back. Um, so, again, I don't know if that's just the nature of what happened to her in this universe or if it's just kind of something they just kind of created for effect. But... Uh, well, his whole power deals with, like, the whole kinetic potential energy thing. That's why he's, you know, he turns power or mouse into power or whatever. So that's how she was able to do it. At least that's what I thought. Yeah. You know, because she's able to absorb his power and use it against him. Yeah. It's just normally, you know, what would happen is she would just get huge. Like, she would just grow and be, you know, like a body like him. So in this instance, she was just kind of able to, to absorb it, channel it, and, you know, send it back. Almost kind of like Bishop. Probably just convenience. So at this point, she's able to rescue Charles and save him. And uh, Charles points out that Magneto is fighting, and he asks, "What's he fighting for?" And Rogue says, "For all of us, Charles. For all of for us all." So again, we cut back to Magneto. So the, it, again, this is kind of one of those weird things, too, right? You look off in the distance and you see that Magneto is fighting Apocalypse. In this panel, we cut to the next panel, and a they kind of explained it here a little bit. I don't know if maybe they had to clip a page for time or, or space or something. Um, but we just get this little narrative. It says, for a heartbeat, Magneto goes down, giving Apocalypse the chance to remove from hiding the original shard of the Macron crystal uh, first brought to to him. So it just, it just seemed kind of weird. It was like a tell and not show thing. Um, and if you're just kind of visually following along, it just seemed a little disjointed. So at this point, we kind of get the, the picture that what Apocalypse is doing is he's grabbed the crystal and he's like, okay, fine. If this reality is is gone and it, it can't be salvaged, then uh, I will in, inflict and insert myself into that reality uh, and, and we'll have it that way. So at this point, that's that's kind of his his what he's trying to accomplish. So at this point, Nate is able to, to you know, kind of overhear this monologue of him talking to himself for some reason and uh, attacks him from behind, knocks the crystal loose, and then Nate's able to grab a hold of it and kick Apocalypse in the face with a huge thwam. <laughs> um, and he says, for Forge. And he kind of takes it and, and runs off. So now we're down to three, which I'm assuming is three minutes left. And uh, we're back to Bishop, old Bishop fighting young Bishop, you know, and just basically says, I have no time to explain, no time at all. But for God's sake, no matter what happens to, the, to, to you from this time forward, remember this moment. Um, so he wants to make sure that, you know, Bishop understands, you know, what, what he's, what he's having to do. Uh, so then we, of course, we cut over to, to David again, who's about to, to hit Magneto. And 
Bishop is able to yell at him to get him to stop, which is long enough for him to turn around and say, you know, I know why you're here. I know what you're what you're trying to do, but but I've got to stop you. And at at this point, um, he's able to to grab hold of David, um, and he takes this psychic energy that he's um, that he's he's starting to to use as a weapon, makes him touch Bishop, so he kind of gets an inkling of what's going on. And at that moment, David is is kind of flooded with the memories of the Age of Apocalypse. He sees the future that he inadvertently created, and and what happened. And at that moment, he you know he he kind of understands it, and he you know he says that you know now he says now as your own energies consume you, you pay the price for your folly. I too fade, and with me all memory of your crime. So at that point, like I said, you know um, you know David realizes what he's done, so he he no longer has has a purpose there. And the two of them basically disappear. I mean, old Bishop at this point, you know, never, never really existed because he never continued to live on in that reality. And then we have this cool, I like the, the, you know, Bobby says, wow, did we or did we not just win without raising a finger? Uh, and then <laughs> and then Storm says, you know, I have a feeling that um, true war was fought on a battlefield unknown to us, you know, which is like the understatement of the year at this point. And because at this point, David is not there to anchor them, which I, this is kind of the whole deus ex machina or, oh, crap, we got to end this thing. So let's just figure out a way to get these guys back, you know, because David Haller is no longer in the past. These characters were using him as an anchor. Um, I guess that crazy machine they built at the end of Legion Quest was um, was somehow tied into to David being the anchor. Uh, they they leave this time as if they were never there, and then we cut back to to Magneto, to Xavier, and to Gabrielle Haller. And you know, she says, you know, he said something about being my son. You know, so, so, you know, someone I'd swear, you know, somebody did. I swear to it. Um, and then. Charles said, yeah, there's no, you know, nobody here. Do you remember being in any danger? And she said, no. She feels this maternal loss. So again, it's almost like kind of at this point, it almost seems like these guys feel this is like a fading memory kind of thing. Like they're not exactly sure what happened, but, um, you know, it's kind of like they're just back to moving on. Well, like, like with that and with the anchor thing and with a lot of the power stuff, there's a lot, a lot of stuff in this issue. And of course, it's not just limited to this issue. It was a thing of the era, but it's this way because we say it's this way. Yeah. You know, the powers do this on this page because, well, we need it to. Yeah. Um, which is not something I miss from 90s comics. Not that it's gone away, certainly, but it seems less so these days. Yeah. So we cut back to Magneto and Nate, who are just pouring it on to, to Apocalypse at this point. Um, and they're just they're just giving it to him. Uh, and at that point, Nate, um, something hits Nate. And he turns around, and it's Holocaust who's there to to kind of finish the the battle. And at this point, didn't hit him with enough bubbles, apparently. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, Nate takes the McCran crystal and firmly stabs Holocaust with it. At which point, they're both they both pretty much just disappear. Um, at which we'll find out where after after this this it in the in the current Marvel universe, we find out what happens to him. And obviously, Nate goes to the six one six with his Holocaust yes. as well. And was there any counterpart of him before that? No. Uh-uh. Okay. I mean, I, I know I've definitely seen him since then, but I didn't know if it was for sure the same character. Yeah. 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 So at this point, Apocalypse grabs a hold of Magneto and he's doing his whole Apocalypse thing. You know, the end game is yours and mine alone. So he's he feels like, okay, this is, you know, man to man. We're going to settle this. We're going to be done with it. Um, and then he says, why won't you fight back? You know, he, he doesn't understand why Magneto is allowing himself to just be beaten by Apocalypse. Um, and he says, I'm concentrating. 
and Apocalypse. And then the Sentry rips Ares. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, this was a lot less graphic, though, than that, <laughs> but... Well, it was the... I mean, like with almost all the violence in this comic, it happens off-panel. You're kind of implied what happened. I think the most violent thing you see clearly, aside from this, which isn't even that clear, it's all backlit, is when uh, Colossus steps on Kitty Pride. But everything else, like even... Uh, Havoc getting stabbed, it's happening below the panel, and you just see his face later on. You know, it's, it's just the time. I love the sound effect, too. <laughs> but again, it's just kind of one of those cool moments. I mean, this is, to me, like one of those cinematic moments. Like, the, the quote-unquote hero, in this case, just kind of biding his time. You could tell there's something else going on, you know, in his in his eyes. You know, you could tell there's something going on. Um, and then he's able to pretty much channel all of his power and all of his energy and completely rip Apocalypse apart, which is kind of kind of cool. I remember reading this. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. And so, you know, again, Magneto kind of gets his last little dig and says, you know, for 20 years have gone by and you've talked about how you know only strong survive. Tell me again, Apocalypse, just how strong you are um, as what's left of Apocalypse's head fades away. And, and we get this cool bit. Um, from Magneto as he's walking away, where he says, we're the mightiest of our race, Apocalypse. Suppose we'd been on the same side. What a world that would have been. Which is kind of interesting because it kind of parallels a little bit Xavier and Magneto, how, you know, they were on opposite sides. And, and, and it's been said, you know, several times that, and I think they even made kind of the, that comment in the movie, like, what if they, you know, weren't on opposite sides? You know, what if they, you know, would unite with each other to, to make things better? Instead of, you know, being opposed to each other. And it's the same kind of thing here. And that's part of why I like First Class so much. Yeah, yeah. So here we are. We got one minute. We're at one minute left. Um, Apocalypse is dead. And he says, and with him, his world. Rogue says, our world. Magneto says, and if Bishop has done his job, we will be but memories by the time the bombs fall. Uh, so pretty much at this point, Magneto is able to unite with his family just in time for the world to end. As literally the nukes go off. Um, and turn everything into cinders. And I love that panel structure on the last page of it being four panels within the X-Men logo. Yeah. Very yeah. Neat. And then in the page before that, that last little bit of Magneto, where it's just that kind of, it's kind of the opposite of what we saw earlier with that Apocalypse panel, where that was on the left-hand side, on that side of his face. We get this, you know, real serious look of Magneto. As you could tell, he's holding the sun, um, but a close-up on his you know, uh, on his face. I, it was uh, just, you know, in the cracks in the helmet and stuff like that. It was just very, very well, well rendered. And in the apocalypse panel, the, or on that page, at least the, the panels are all angular, right. you know, so, sh- showing you that something is off, but here now we've gotten to the end. Everything's back to a right angle. Like it should be quote unquote yes. until the last page when everything's off just a little bit, but it's just cause it's showing the right. X. Right. So that's it. That is that is the end. That is Alpha X Men Omega. Woo! Um, real quick, I just I want to touch on uh, on Chronicles, and then we we'll, we can kind of give our our final thoughts and and whatnot. Um, Chronicles number one. Chronicles was the replacement to at the time. There was a comic called X Men Unlimited, which was a quarterly title that was like double, triple. I think it was like forty eight pages or something like that, and it came out uh, quarterly. And so because this this series went on for four months there was one that came out in the beginning and one that came out at the end chronicles number one was actually a really good story i i enjoyed it quite a bit and it was kind of the early days of the x-men um back when magneto first formed them uh they were in wonder 
um, in Europe. They weren't in, in Xavier's mansion. They kind of had their own danger room thing going on. The costumes were red and yellow instead of blue and yellow, which I thought was, it was a, it was a really kind of cool look. Um, Terry Dotson did the art and, and this is like early Dotson. So it was kind of like Dotson, but yet in that slightly Marvel house style at the time. So it, it actually was really good. I mean, I, I, I was really impressed with, with how it looked. A couple things to to mention in this one, uh, Rogue in this reality absorbed Polaris's powers and and was the, got a hold of them permanently instead of Carol Danvers, uh, so she didn't get the Miss Marvel persona; she got the Polaris persona, which I thought was kind of cool. And Apocalypse first came on the scene by attacking Cape Citadel and the nuclear arsenal, which is in X Men history that was the first time the X Men faced Magneto. Was he attacked Cape Citadel? And we get to see Holocaust before he had to become the way he looked now in his armored form. We actually got to see him in his human form. Uh, Sabretooth was one of the horsemen of Apocalypse who was kind of cast out. Uh, and we see the death of Wanda Maximoff, the, the Scarlet Witch. We kind of see, you know, which they made mention of in the other series. Um, it was actually a pretty, pretty well done book. Um, Chronicles number two, however, I thought was like the complete opposite end of the spectrum. It was not a very well uh, put together book at all. I didn't like the story. The art was was decent, but it just it was more the story of of Gene and Logan leaving the group, um, and Rogue getting closer to Magneto and pulling away from Gambit, uh, and and it kind of showed their, you know, how the two of them broke up and how you know Gambit kind of got sideways with the rest of them. But uh, so that was kind of the focus of those two books. They were they were tales of the past as opposed to forwarding the ongoing narrative. So we're finally at the end. What do you guys think? What what uh, what do you have to say in closing? I mean, it's a little bit hard to say how cohesive it was only because it has been so long since we started and we were reading it piecemeal. But, I mean, I don't love it. I liked parts of it a lot, and I thought it was a solid story overall, but there were a lot of, and, and when I say a lot, I mean, I'm not, you know, overreaching. There were a lot of plot things, like we talked about in this issue, where it was just well, it needs to be this way, so it is. But I think it was a cool idea. I always love alternate histories. Um, I liked what they did with a lot of the characters. I don't know that the execution was my favorite thing, but I, I like the idea of it. And like I said, there were a lot of really cool moments, for sure. I think uh, the takeaways from it are more important, actually, than the actual stories in art itself. Like the, the different AOA versions that have leaked over into the Marvel Universe uh, over over time, at the beginning and over time. And also the, the whole trope of the alternate universe now has become a big thing in Marvel Comics. I mean, look at House of M or look at Age of Ultron, you know, um, that we see now. I mean, it's the same... Same kind, you know, same general premise. So um, I, I really think, you know, this was kind of the granddaddy of all those for uh, for Marvel at any rate. And so, I mean, even if, you know, the art doesn't age very well and there are some plot inconsistencies and the, you know, the dialogue isn't as sharp as what we're used to now in the 2013s, uh, I still think it's very important in its own way, and not only in, in X-Men continuity and history, but also in Marvel history in general, you know, um, just as kind of showing the way how to do, you know, an alternate history and do it well and have it have some reverberations uh, in the main Marvel Universe after the fact. So, you know, in that, in, in that perspective, you know, I, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it's kind of one of those things, I think, in the moment of it happening, it seemed to be, it seemed to kind of have that, that energy going with it. I mean, this, to me, was like the ballsiest thing that Marvel ever did. Um, they took their most popular books and said, we're canceling all of them. 
and we're going to, for four months, they're going away and something else is going to come in. Huge, huge gamble. I was, I was just saying that this was a huge, that this was incredibly ballsy for them to, to do this. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, just, you'll get, you'll get no arguments from me on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen DC, I mean, the closest thing maybe, well, t- two things. One failed horribly in execution, um, that Marvel did later was the Heroes Reborn slash Heroes Return thing. Um, and that, that for a variety of reasons, a lot of it with the whole image thing and the bankruptcy and everything else. Um, and I think it was just something that people didn't resonate with and it wasn't a success. I think this was a success. I mean, it's people look back on this more fondly than, than not. Um, whereas when you talk heroes reborn, people roll their eyes and, you know, are, you know, want to throw something at you. And, and rightfully so heroes reborn was yeah. terrible. Yeah. It was really bad. It was really bad. Um, but, you know, DC's New 52 is, is kind of the, the, even, even goes beyond this. I mean, they, they permanently, you know, slashed their line and started everything, well, you know, 90% of everything over. Um, but again, at the time, they kind of played it up as they may not be coming back. You know, we didn't, at first, I don't think, when they first announced it, we didn't know how long it was going to be. We didn't know if it was going to be, you know, four months, six months, a year. You know, we weren't sure what, you know, what was going on. Um, I think if this was today, I think this would have been at least, um, six issues and spawned, you know, probably a whole separate miniseries to coincide with it. But I, I really admire it more for what it did from a storytelling perspective. I think like you, Jordan, I think some of the execution was par to subpar. But when you look at this thing overall in total, I think, I think it stands better as, as the whole as opposed to, you know, the, the, the it's separate parts. You know, you could, you could take each piece and be like, yeah, it's okay. But I think when you put it all together and then put it in the context of what was going on with the rest of comics at the time and what Marvel was trying to do, and I think it holds up a little better. I think, I think it's a more positive experience, uh, when viewed that way. So, you know, it, it's not my favorite X-Men story of all time by any stretch, but it's definitely up there. Like I said, as, as far as events go, I think they, they really did it right. They didn't, they didn't, um, you know, cut any corners. I mean, they slashed all the time, you know, they didn't keep some titles hanging around. They didn't, you know, flood it with all these crazy additional miniseries and spinoffs and everything else. They, you know, they, this is what they did with the line. They kept it tight. Um, and then when it came back, for the most part, it picked up right where it left off. But again, we saw other characters creep in. We saw Nate, Nate Gray come back, Holocaust come back, Dark Beast, Sugar Man, you know, other things started to kind of come in and and have repercussions from the story um and some of it even you know to this day i mean we, you know occasionally they'll throw dark beast in there um sometimes or we'll see sugar man or holocaust or you know and i think for a while they kind of went away and i think we're starting to see them creep back a little bit more but but they, they you know they've they've used them in interesting ways over time for sure it was certainly a grand undertaking that's for sure for them and us <laughs> yeah <laughs> you are not whistling dixie sir well I guess that's really all I have. I, th- I think, you know, if I had to rank it, I'd, I'd probably give it a four. Like I said, just as a, as a, as an event, um, I would, I would give it as a, a four overall. Just like I said, just for what it means to me personally and just for the gutsiness of it. So I'm going to assume you mean out of five. Yes. Then. Okay. <laughs> the first I was like, wow, that's surprising. So that does it for the age of apocalypse. I, I guess we've kind of teased at it and talked about it a little bit, but, uh, Jim, do you have anything to to add or toss in there or to tease or 
on uh, on the next chapter of what we're covering? Well, I think the next one we're going to do, as we did in the you know, classic LOD style, we're going to go from a long uh, form uh, as we did with the AOA to a one shot, and we're going to look at the first trade of Saga, which is wonderful by Brian Kivon and Fiona Staples. And uh, if you have not been reading it, you should be. And if you haven't uh, been reading it, you are now hereby warned. Uh, I think you can get the first. I think the first issue is still only a dollar on Comicsology, if I'm not mistaken. It uh, was. It was free. Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Let me do a quick check while you're you're vamping there, sir. Okie doke. But uh, our next will be Saga, uh, one through six. So definitely join us for that. That's a great book. It's one of the best uh, out there on the stands. And I'm I'm happy we're gonna be doing something that we've been reading that we all love. That's that's more current um, than AOA. So uh, I'm stoked for that. And it's been a really uh, a great ride. So that'll be our next uh, in depth uh, comic book uh, coverage. It'll be a one shot on Saga. Very cool. I think after that we have a. Uh, Slightly longer form uh, series, uh, looking in depth on um, Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four and FF. Yeah, we're going to be trying to do a slightly different take on that, in that we're not going to be doing, you know, a panel by panel deconstruction so much. I mean, we will when it's super important, but more a uh, moment by moment deconstruction for for FF and Fantastic Four. Absolutely, and we're probably going to pepper in some more one shots and surprises there along the way. I know we'll probably uh, put some in the uh, put some on the feed when uh, Infinity hits this summer. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so you know, c- keep a lookout. Long Box of Doom, more uh, more comic centric look than uh, Legion of Doom has been in, in quite a while. It's, it feels like uh, it's coming full circle back to where we began. And on the Jersey Shore front, the newest podcast on the HHW LOD Podcast Network, we just put out last week. As you hear this, uh, our Star Trek Into Darkness and Iron Man 3 reviews. We had an episode on Superior Spider-Man and the history of Spider-Man in general. And uh, next up, the newest one that should be up when this episode goes online, I believe will be our Bioshock Infinite review. So check that out. It's got its own feed at hhwled.com, and of course, it is on the master feed as well. And now that the website is back up and healthy and running and not hacked uh, by Canadian Viagra Pirates, uh, <laughs> my uh, weekly Geekly Reader uh, weekly comics review blog will be uh, returning uh, to the fold. It'll be by the time this episode comes up, it'll be back on the site. So every week I do, I'll do some uh, quick, you know, two hundred, two hundred word uh, uh, capsule comic reviews on what I've read that week, and uh, try to steer you clear of the bad ones and try to steer you to the good ones. So weekly Geekly Reader every week on a weekly blog on hhwlod.com. Can't wait. And just to, to chime in, Saga number one is free on Comixology, uh, and issues two through eleven or two through twelve are a dollar ninety nine. So that is a awesome yeah, deal. deal. That's cheap at twice the price. Yeah, the just a warning for listeners though, there is adult content in that book. But uh, if you're cool with that, like I am, uh, definitely check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah, good stuff. Well, guys, here we are at the end of the age of apocalypse. Do you feel apocalyptic now? Feel. A weight has lifted. An apocalyptic weight has lifted. Yet there's a doom in the air. Have you been replaced by the, your evil version from an alternate universe? <laughs> well, thanks for joining us for the reboot. I was already the evil version of myself. Ah, fair enough. Well, I do have the goatees, so that makes me the evil one. <laughs> Just like Captain Kirk, you know. He had the, or Spock, he had the goatee. That's how you could tell he was evil. But uh, thanks for joining us for our reboot of uh, Long Box of Doom now, LOD. So- 
Exactly. So does that mean I was gonna say? So does that mean my counterpart? Does that mean my counterpart in the mirror universe has no goatee, and he's no, he just has a sick mustache. Mm. Yeah, he's got those hipster mutton chops. Hate <laughs> those. Either that or a New England fringe. Five one six four six eight seven nine one two. Leave us a voicemail for God's sake. Leave us an email. Comments at longboxofdoom.com. Do it. iTunes no, reviews. I, I'm not gonna. Yes, iTunes reviews. I'm not gonna accept any of your lame excuses anymore. Do it. <laughs> Get them. Yeah, all of our all of our iTunes reviews for all the shows across the board got wiped when we read the website. So if you left a review in the past, we don't have it anymore. Leave a review, leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. And if you haven't left one in the past, this is the perfect time to get in there right now. It'll really help out the show. You could also order stuff through Amazon off our site, and that gets us a little bit of money as well. Costs you nothing extra, but gives us a little bit of a kickback. So it's awesome. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one.